This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Manchester's indie rock and roll station, Excess Manchester. The Excess Manchester Long Player, an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Excess Manchester. Hello, how are you? Welcome to The Excess Long Player, another podcast where I get to discuss a classic album with one of the people who made it. Today it is James Walsh from Star Sailor talking about the band's debut album, Love Is Here. What an album this is. I'll be honest with you, until I went back and listened to it, I'd completely forgotten how brilliant it was. Full of heart, emotion and some beautiful songs, as well as some proper big anthems as well. If you need a reminder of this album, you can check out the link in the podcast description. There is a link that will take you to the album. So feel free to pause, listen, come back before you delve into this chat with James Walsh talking about the band's debut, Love Is Here. How you doing, James? It's been a while. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Not too bad. Good. Good to hear it. First off... I've picked Lovers Here for today's Excess Long Player, a classic album that I love. It was a toss-up for me between this and Silence Is Easy. In your view, have I made the right choice? Is this the album that you have the most affection for from Star Sailor's back catalogue? Um, yeah, I think so. It's a difficult choice because obviously Silence Is Easy is a special record for us as well. But I think every band's debut album I think more so in the last bands who've come out in the last 20 odd years, the debut album is a real touchstone mm. and it's how we discovered our sound and, and it, it means a lot to the public as well, or the, the fans of the band. So it's, uh, yeah, I think you've made the right choice. I, I guess bands prior to that were able to, were signed in a much more raw, like you think of the classic example of U2, where they're signed in a much more raw state. And they're able to almost hone their sound and become U2 over the course of albums. Whereas I think bands more recently, it's like they almost want a more finished article. So by the time you get to make a debut album, you're a lot more accomplished and have something to say. Well, I guess for a lot of bands now, if your debut album doesn't fly, if it doesn't do the numbers, that's it. You're dead. You're gone. Yeah. Yeah. And thank God it did. because uh, <laughs> There was a lot of pressure at the time. Well, we'll talk about some of that pressure in a minute. As you say, this is Star Sailor's debut album, so we probably need to start right at the beginnings of the band, back to when you were even Star Sailor, when you were called Waterface, and how yeah. you became the lead singer of Waterface at the time. <laughs> it sounds like it was a little bit fortuitous. You replaced the band's lead singer, who was taken ill for, I don't know whether it was a gig or whether it was long term, but do you think back to that event and look back on it and see it as a bit of a sliding doors moment almost? Um, yeah, 
it was it happened slightly differently in okay. that there was like a college production and this lad who, who actually carried on and played guitar with us and backing vocals for a few years he was singing as part of this college production and he fell ill and wasn't able to do it and that's where i stepped in and where the rest of the band kind of first heard me sing the bass player had been in a band with this other lad for a few years but i think star sailor or waterface was kind of a new a new sort of undertaking and they decided that they wanted me to to front it so that's how it all kicked off were there any hesitations about stepping into that at the time because i mean i think you were a little bit younger than the other band members which i guess is kind of nice in, in one side because you're going well i get to play with the bigger boys but <laughs> the other side is <laughs> that, that's a difficult thing for someone who's a couple of years younger to go into i guess yeah it was quite intimidating in a way but the lads in the band have always been very supportive and slightly i hate to say fatherly more kind of older brotherly <laughs> towards me <laughs> so uh, i think that definitely helped things and we'd always like, shared the same kind of bands and different music that we liked so and i think there's a there's a certain sort of confidence and bravado that you possess when you're kind of 16 17 that yeah. sort of carries you through whereas now i'd probably be more hesitant if someone more experienced wanted me to become involved in a project i'd be like oh am i good enough for this whereas at the time you're just like um I'm really good at this and this is what I'm destined to do. So I just throw myself headfirst into it. Isn't it weird? The more experienced you get, the worse imposter syndrome gets. I never thought of that before, yeah. <laughs> but it's 100% the case. Well, in those early days, your vocals really stood out in the band. And I remember, well, I was reading recently an old enemy review. I think it was from the days before you were signed when you were gigging. And the words that were used in this review were that the band were blessed with a singer whose voice thrummed like an emotional telegraph wire. I think there is a unique quality to your voice, and it certainly cuts through in terms of its sound and its delivery, but also the kind of emotion that is contained within it. What, what do you put that down to? Because I was wondering whether, because I know previous to the band you sung in a choir or you're a choir yeah. boy do you think that's where it comes from yeah I think that was something that was seen as quite negative at the time like okay not at the time when the band came out but when I was actually in a choir it wasn't a cool thing mm. to do or to be it's like it's much you get much more popularity if you're good at football and <laughs> <So, laughs> um, certainly where I grew up but it actually kind of stood us in good stead because it gave us a different sort of quality to my vocal yeah. than someone who, like so many bands, the lead singers in the bands only start singing because they can't play an instrument. <laughs> Whereas this was something that I'd always been passionate about and, and had an ability for. And I think that, uh, yeah, that kind of gave us that little bit different to the more swaggering kind of, Ian Brown, I think Liam Gallagher's an amazing singer, but what he does is more raw and yeah, something different. So yeah, it definitely was was part of it. That enemy review that I referred to a minute ago, it kind of hints at the buzz that was spinning around Star Sailor in those early days. And there was a bidding war around which record label was going to get your signature. How did that feel at the time, being in the centre of that? Did it feel exciting? Did it feel pressurised? Were you able to appreciate the attention or did that just feel a little bit alien to you? 
it was very exciting. Looking back on it, it was just ridiculous, really. <laughs> just everything seemed to go for us. All the singles that we released did better and better with, with each one. The first kind of slight disappointment was that the album didn't hit number one. And we were, we were obviously overjoyed that it was a top five record. Mm. But slightly disappointed that it hadn't hit number one. Which top, is... top five, platinum selling. Oh, okay, so yeah. I can see why you'd be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> which, which obviously looking back on it, you think that's ridiculous. Like that's, it's such a small thing. Mm. I think Love Is Here was kept off the top spot by Kylie. And Silence is Easy was kept off the top spot by The Darkness or the other way around, I can't remember. It's weird how you kind of, you become comfortable with the world that you're thrust into and you, your expectations and your ambitions become increased accordingly where you think, well, we've done that. So next we've got to, we've got to do this. So we've got to have a number one in America and yeah. all these ridic ridiculous things. Don't get me wrong, we, we enjoyed it a lot of the time. But it's a shame that it almost becomes normal instead of being like, we need to embrace this and really yeah. enjoy it because it's, you kind of think that it's the, it's the start of a road rather than not the end sounds a bit depressing. But, I know what you mean. Like that you, never, yeah. you, never, you never know when the best moment is or the best time is until yeah, you, you, it's you, gone. <laughs> you download the line. And then it might, yeah, it, might yeah. be, it might still be around the corner. You just don't know. Yeah, I think... Uh, the one thing that we have got is that the album did have an impact and people still remember it and we can still go out and play these mm. songs and kind of rekindle some of that energy and, and like I say, maybe even appreciate it more than we did at the time it was happening. Well, I want to talk about that love for the album in a little bit, actually, so we will come back to that. But I want to take you back to the recording of the album because there wasn't a huge amount of time between the band actually getting together and then you walking in the doors of Rockfield Studios to record yeah. this album. A few of the bands I've spoken to on this show have talked about recording at Rockfield Studios because it's amazing the amount of brilliant albums that have been made in those walls. How did that feel walking into those studios? Was it, was it another thing that you just kind of accepted was happening or did the kind of magnitude of history, the music history from those legendary studios kind of impact you? Did you feel the weight of history on your shoulders? Yeah, I think the latter really. I think we really felt the, the pressure and the, the magnitude of, of recording somewhere like that. It really helped having Steve Osborne producing the record because his style of production is quite, he's quite school teacherly. He's quite like, he brought us down a peg or two. He was, he, he was our, very much our boss in that. Um, probably more so than subsequent albums because it was our first time in a, yeah. a studio like that. And he- Were you he accepting finished. of that? When he was kind of going, no, do it this way, or this is how we're going to do this. Was it? Was there any friction there? Or was it just a case of, well, this is a guy who's worked with, I don't know, New Order, Manic Street Preachers, whoever else he'd worked with at that stage? I don't think so. Like, none of us are particularly arrogant or dismissive of, of other alternative kind of suggestions or ways that we could improve on a vocal or a performance. The only time it, there would be any friction is if you'd get to like the 50th take <laughs> and, in, and in your head, it's like, I've got this, it's done, it's, it sounds great. And he's like, no, we, we, we can get a better one. But it's one of those things where you have to reluctantly admit afterwards that, yeah, he was right to mm -hmm. kind of push us that bit further. It was good to record in a residential studio 
away from the hype and the pressures and and with a producer that that wasn't gonna indulge us and make us feel like stars he was like we're here to work and to record the best album we possibly can I mean it was a residential stay as you said making some of the album but I understand at the same time there were a few breaks and you were touring at the same time as writing new music so there was new songs creeping into your live sets as you played them so one night you'd kind of debut a song next night you'd debut one were you using that as a barometer of what might go on the album at the time was it kind of a case of playing something and going oh the crowd liked that maybe that should be track number three or, or whatever it was or were you able to compartmentalize what you saw as your your album your kind of project the story you were telling there and what was working well in front of an audience um that's a good question yeah I think it definitely influences what what becomes a single what Mm. goes down particularly well with the crowd the judgment or whatever of the songs and what goes on the album or what doesn't it we were quite confident in our sound and it was the sound that was that was getting us the the press and the the overall feel of the band and the sound. So we decided between ourselves kind of what within that, sorry, I'm rambling a bit now, but (laughs) within that, what what were the better moments of songwriting that that needed to be heard? Whereas I think at the time, the crowd were happy with, it's a bit insulting to say anything that we would do, (laughs) but anything that met a certain quality and and Mm. illustrated what, the band represented then that would have gone down reasonably well with the crowd they were they were very much um it's weird to think back it's like those people were fans they were people who looked up to us and gave us these incredible reactions whereas I feel like the older you get the more your kind of fans in adverted commas want to feel more like your mates almost Mm. you get more you get more heckles at gigs (laughs) and like People coming up and going, are you coming out for a pint afterwards? Whereas I think pure adulation in the early days. Yeah, yeah. When you're a younger band, there's a kind of a distance and people look up to you in a way. Yeah. But you don't, I guess you don't really want that when you're older. It's it's quite nice that people watching music feel an affinity with bands and Mm. think, well, that's someone just like me who happens to sing in a band rather than that's someone special. I think it's slightly different in terms of what, has happened over the last 20 years as well in terms of how close people feel to musicians or artists or actors in terms of the access via social media because I think people do feel like your mates now they don't necessarily feel like these unobtainable stars that have been put on a pedestal it's it's a little bit of a different situation I guess um I'd like to go back to talking about your voice and the emotion in your voice because you're you're right it's more polished than raw but i think the feeling comes across so much in it but not just in the singing as well also in the songwriting and i mean i I don't know where the inspiration behind your songs come from but it feels like listening to them it could be almost like a a painful experience to lay this stuff down on the page and it feels like there might have been things when you were creating this album well i don't know whether it was painful to get those things out or whether you just felt like you needed to get them out yeah, it's it's quite difficult to explain, but I've, mm. there was a lot of teenage angst in there, and I felt like a bit of an outcast growing up and going to school and discovering girls and discovering that most of them didn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
when you it's weird it's one of those things like when you look back on it you think oh that's ridiculous given the the things that you the pressures and the the things that adult life brings you think the things I wrote about then were quite trivial but at the time it really does affect you deeply to feel kind of lonely or to feel rejected even if it's more in yourself like you you process in a situation that mm. maybe to other people it isn't that big a deal it's like something you've dwelt on and and built up to something bigger than maybe it is it's still kind of difficult experiences and everyone goes through them to a greater or lesser extent yeah that i think that was a big part of the record and and how how the lyrics were allowed to be so deep and emotional because I think I was at an age where it was like no holes barred really yeah I wouldn't think this is a song about a girl that I probably won't remember in three months time so I'd better hold back <laughs> just think <laughs> this is affecting me now this is how I feel now so I'm just going to throw it out on the, on when the you page listen- when you listen back to those songs now or listen to the album now or replay those songs, do you get taken back to those moments? Do you remember those people? A little bit occasionally. But I think the a lot of them kind of belong to the crowd. It's it's like a cliche that a lot of bands say, but they belong to the crowd and they, they, they mean what the people listening to them have told me they mean to them and they, they, they get from them. Especially a song like Alcoholic, it's... It was written, the lyrics were written by me much more as a kind of observer and an imagined scenario based on things that I'd picked up just from living in Chorley and spending time in Warrington. But obviously that song's become a deeply personal song to a lot of people. And I'm glad that I wrote it and people interpreted it like that and were able to relate to it. I'm going to pick a couple of tunes off the album that I want to talk about. I'm hoping in a moment you'll pick a couple of tunes as well that you want to pull moments from or things that spark off memories. But there's a couple I just wanted to shed some light on before we do that. The first one is the album opening, which is Tie Up My Hands, which I've got to confess, it wasn't until I went back and listened to this album again that I'd kind of forgotten how it started. And it's a slightly unusual start to an album. It's almost got a Middle Eastern feel to it, that song. And normally for an album, the first song, the first thing you hear, kind of sets the scene as to how the rest of the album pans out. So what was your thinking behind having Tie Up My Hands as the opening track on Love Is Here? I think because it, it starts so slowly. It was obviously a bit of a brave move, like you say, in a, an era when albums would just kick off with the biggest <laughs> songs. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to kind of ease people in gently with this. I remember writing the acoustic riff that underpins the song it works well as a set opener as well it's just a a song that kind of builds and builds and sets the tone for the not so much when the song starts but when it finishes it Mm. sets the tone for the rest of the album the other track i wanted to talk about was good souls now i read an interview of you talking about this where you said that this track was an attempt by you to write a song that the likes of Primal Scream would play. So listening back to Good Souls now, do you think that's the case? Do you think you achieved your goal? I don't know. (laughs) I don't think it would sound out of place in a Primal Scream set, but I wouldn't like to say that they would play it because they've got 
far too many amazing songs of their own. But yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's a song that we're really proud of. It's a song that we'd kind of put in the face of anyone who said, oh, Star Sailor are all are very miserable and downbeat and write all these <laughs> painful songs. It's like, it's become, it's quite an anthemic song with a, there's a bit of darkness in there, but it's largely a, a positive message. Right, it's your turn now, James. Pick me a couple of tunes off this album that, like I say, spark off memories or just are songs that you love because of their songwriting or maybe a tracks that you've heard and gone, well, I like that song, but listening back to it with 20 years experience, I wish we'd done this differently. Whatever it is, what tracks do you want to pick? Lullaby is a, a big one for me because I remember sitting on my bed in my mum and dad's house in Chorley and kind of starting this song. I think at the time we only really had good souls and Lullaby was one that kind of caught people's ear and caught people's attention and was the second kind of really good song that we added to our canon. Just distinctly sitting on a bed, kind of all the old cliches like dreaming of being in a band and writing this song. There's a headline in a magazine that was the quiet american and the first line is get back on your feet again you're so insincere the quiet american i held you so dear so yeah it's a, a special song and it, it still goes down really well when we play it it's interesting um, to hear you say that it was the second good song that you had second really good song is it that instinctive that when you write something that you know is of a certain quality you just go yeah that's it nailed it I think at the time we probably thought all our songs were great. <laughs> but we sort of put a few songs on a demo and it suddenly got more attention and more praise and whatever than the previous mm. demos that we put out, even ones with good souls on. It took us a while to, even in its Roy sort of demo form, to get like a de definitive version of good souls that caught people's ear. And the other song... I'm going to pick is, oh. I'm on centre hooks. Yeah. <laughs> Fever. Okay. Why that one? I think listening to artists like Hosier now, I think of all our songs, that's one that still sounds quite fresh and contemporary because it it's so retro in a, mm. in a roundabout way. I could really imagine him singing that. The instrumentation is so simple as well, and but so effective, like Barry's Wurlitzer. It's amazing on that track, and the drums and the bass are so understated. Just really proud of the, the songwriting. It's quite an angry song as well. It's like, uh, I'm, a, I'm over you, and I'm going to go up, like prove myself and, and do something with my life kind of thing. James, it's been a pleasure to go back over and remember Love Is Here as an album. It's 20 years since it was released now, and I know you've been kind of celebrating its release a little bit over the last few months. You did an acoustic set, you personally did the whole album as a kind of benefit gig for the NHS. Depending when you're listening to this as a show, as a podcast, we're at hopefully what is the tail end of the COVID pandemic as well, and you wanted to recognise the workers of the NHS, so you did the gig for them. Then as a band, you played a few gigs with the whole album as well, going through it track by track. When you went back to it two decades on from its release, I mean, I guess you've kind of not 
turned your back on these songs completely over those two decades. But did it feel like a bit of a rediscovery? Did it open up those feelings again? Did it take you back to when you were recording these songs? And how did you feel about them with that benefit of time? Really proud and really, really good about the songs. I think there's always a period in the immediate aftermath of a, an album, even something that's gone well, where you you maybe listen to intently to the negative voices and think you've got something to prove to them. So then you start, like Silence is Easy is a bit of a reaction to Love Is Here and a kind of conscious effort to, to prove that we could do something different. Mm. But then as, as you say, like as time passes, you grow more affectionate for what you've done in the past and, and appreciate kind of what it's, what it's done for you and what it means to people. So yeah, like we, we have been playing Good Souls, Alcoholic, Poor Misguided Fool for the last sort of 20 years. Mm. But it's been nice to revisit songs like Talk Her Down, Coming Down, She Just Wept. You always revisit songs that you've not done for a while, for a while with a bit of trepidation, like are they any good? <laughs> um, but thankfully they, they've really sort of they've stood the test of time as much as the, the more popular ones. You mentioned right at the beginning when we started talking how important it is to you, the love that people have for these albums. Those gigs I just, I just mentioned when you revisited Love Is Here, they sold out super quick, all the tickets mm -hmm. went, the venues were packed and all that kind of thing. But often at the same time you hear bands, particularly who are still making music and you're still writing your own music, you're still writing albums, they, they kind of like, not resent, I don't think resent's the right word, but certainly want to move away from their music of the past and just focus on the music of the future. But uh, is it the kind of the love that people have for this album and Silence Is Easy that makes you want to revisit it, that stops you kind of almost turning your back on it? Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's a double-edged sword as well because, or maybe a double-edged sword's the wrong expression, <laughs> but it's one of those things where a yin and yang or whatever, it's one of those things where obviously there are times where I think oh, I wish more people would come on board with the new stuff I'm doing or the solo stuff I'm doing, but I wouldn't have a lot of that audience without the, without Love Is Here and without the Star Sailor audience. So I can't, you almost kind of can't have it, have it both ways. So yeah, there's a lot to be thankful for that that record came out and had such an impact. And uh, there are times where I'm a bit moody about like I say, more people come in, <laughs> come in from that who got into that record to what the band's done more recently as well as what I've done solo. But most of the time, yeah, it's like, well, at least a lot of those people have stuck with us enough, enough to have given us a, a career for, a, for the last 20 years. Mm. Where can people find all that new stuff? Because there's some stunning records that have been produced in the interim from yourself as a solo artist and you say the band's stuff as well, the newest stuff that they've done. Where can people find all that? Um, I've got a band camp, it's like James Walsh official bandcamp.com. The Star Sailor albums are on all the, all the usual streaming <laughs> platforms. James Walsh music on Instagram and James Star Sailor on Twitter. They so, go, you're, you're everywhere. Yeah. You're omnipresent. <laughs> it's good to yeah, hear. I don't. <laughs> I don't want. I didn't want to make it a, a big advert for my uh, for everything. But yeah, I think it's Star Sailor Band on Twitter as well. If you want to keep up with cool. what the band's doing. 
I'll put the links in the description of the podcast as well <laughs> so people can go and find whatever they want to find there. Uh, before I let you go, I mean, Star Sailor are often credited with being a Wigan band. I know not all of you have your roots in Wigan. You're from various parts around the northwest. But I wanted to ask you about the music scene in Wigan at the moment because in terms of Greater Manchester, it certainly seems to be the place where there is a buzz at the moment and that's led by the Lathams. But there's a whole load of really good up-and-coming bands in their wake at the moment coming out of Wigan. What do you put it down to? What is there something in the water? Why is there such a kind of buzz around music up there at the moment? I don't know. It obviously started with the Verve. Um, they, they kind of paved the way and gave a lot of Wigan bands or bands from that part of the world, someone and something to look up to. It's probably being slightly removed from, from Manchester as well, mm. which is more renowned for sort of swaggering bands like Oasis and the Happy Mondays. I think the Lathams are a great example where there's a, there's a sort of modesty to them and a, a, an effortless charm, which I think is, is quite unique to smaller towns where if you walk into a pub in Wigan and you're too up yourself or swaggering and, and confident, they probably <laughs> tell you to get out again. <laughs> so, yeah, in those that, terms? Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, so I guess there's the lottery winners as well. Mm, yeah. They're a good example of a band who are using kind of a much more positive and, and almost humour-filled way of putting themselves across, which, is, which works really well. And, yeah, the Lathams just see, have got some amazing songs and just seem like nice lads who, who can't believe their luck. James, pleasure to talk to you about music and particularly to talk to you about what is 100% a classic album, Star Sailor's debut, Love Is Here. So really appreciate your time on the XS Longplayer. Cheers. Sorry, sorry about the uh, truck that just turned up outside. <laughs> it's all part of the magic. <laughs> all right. Nice one. Thanks. Awesome. Speak Bye. to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. The XS Manchester Longplayer, an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. XS Manchester. Cheers to your ears. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It was a good one, wasn't it? James Walsh, what a lovely bloke. You can find all the details that I mentioned in the conversation about his new stuff, where to find his new tunes and his Bandcamp link and whatnot in the podcast description. Go and click that because there is a load of great stuff that James has done over the last couple of years that you may not have heard before. So go and check it out. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Underscore Jim Bob. Let me know what albums you want me to cover in the future, or you can just mention the album that you'd like me to cover and who you'd like me to talk to as you leave a review, which I'm sure you're going to go and do, right? Apple Podcasts, give us five stars. Let me know what you think. And if you've got suggestions about future albums, feel free to make them there as well. There'll be a new one next week, so I'll see you pretty soon for another Excess Long Play. Manchester's indie rock and roll station, Excess Manchester.